that's really the concept, right? Like I'm, I'm very good at like three or four things and, you know, decent at 20. Like there's no reason anyone should pay me for those 20 things I can do decently when, you know, you might be able to do them better than me. You should pay me for those five things that I'm really good at and only pay me when I'm like contributing there. And so that's how we've thought about this is that how can we, how can we bring people in to do those certain tasks that they are the best in the world at and then release them to go somewhere else and continue doing that great work. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and today's guest is Corey Heimel. Corey is the director of blockchain and leads all things Web3 at Gigster, a company dedicated to helping businesses develop software applications with the speed of a startup, coupled with the quality and expertise of top global talent. Corey's passion for gaming and tech led him to learn coding and start several businesses in the early years of mobile technology. He's gone on to build a career in leading edge innovation areas. And today, Corey is a global expert on blockchain and Web3. Corey has a knack for simplifying what many find a very confusing space. Join me today to learn more about blockchain, Web3, and the opportunities in crypto and NFTs. I know you're going to love this episode. So Corey, thank you for joining me today on The Impactor. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited. Uh, I've enjoyed, we've had a few minutes to talk here before we've gotten started. I've, I've enjoyed that and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about you. Um, you got that really cool background, cool microphone, and you're working in a cool space. So I know it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm going to learn a lot. So I want to start out by talking about what you're doing right now. You're the director of blockchain at Gigster. So tell us a little bit about Gigster. You know, I took a look. It looks like it's a place where you can get talent to, uh, you know, help you build things pretty quickly. Uh, and I guess on the blockchain. And so let's Tell us a little bit more about what you do and maybe for some of our audience who isn't that familiar with blockchain, tell us a little bit about, about blockchain. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know Gigster itself is uh, about 10 years old now. Uh, you know, I've been with the firm for probably seven years of that. Uh, you know, my backgrounds uh, in core engineering, uh, but have been, you know, kind of moving in and out of a lot of different places over my career and where I sit now uh, at Gigster is leading, you know, basically all things Web3, right, which is powered, you know, basically the underlying infrastructure of the metaverse, you know, ooh, uh, uh, stuff is all, you know, the underlying tech is blockchain. But, you know, in this role, uh, you know, what we do and what we kind of do as a company is that, you know, when we were founded, we were, we were kind of founded on this idea that the future is decentralized, right? And it is distributed. Uh, and this was pre-COVID, you know, back when going to the office was the thing to do, you know? Uh, it seems seems kind of wild now, right? I know, it does, uh, doesn't it? Yeah, and so our, our founders, you know, had this, this idea that, you know, that the future would be distributed. Um, and, you know, they they were both very successful in their previous careers and they wanted to, and they saw this need of like, you know, top top engineers are really like top people in any field are 
generally very enticed to work on like passion projects or work on new tech and like for us specifically, like, you know, emerging technologies. So they said, okay, well, if, you know, if we, if we have engineers at Google, Facebook, you know, Amazon, Oracle, you know, all of the big ones and the, the really top performers have extra cycles to, to work on these passion projects, uh, like, how can we make that happen? Like, what do we need to do to make that happen? Um, and they took a step back and said, we really kind of have to redef- redefine how work gets done. In uh, this traditional notion of, you know, if you're going to do a project, you've got to have some people put on it, right? Like, the, I think the base, the, the, the historical way is like, we'll get five people full time over the next six months and they'll finish it. Uh, and so we looked at that and said, wow, you could actually do this a lot differently with kind of like fractional roles and people moving in and out. And if you build a platform and data and tools to like track performance and stay ahead of risk, it really enables all of this. And, you know, when people ask what Gigster does like Gigster itself is really a data company on on people and how people uh, perform and work in the context of teams on a global scale, uh, and you know we just happen to apply that tech to um, to emerging technologies and, and and my area specifically is is blockchain. Uh, so with that, you know we're about six hundred engineers, project managers, designers. Uh, and we work with some of the largest brands and, you know, a lot of the biggest project and, you know, NFT and, and, and black, um, blockchain and, and, and crypto projects that you've probably heard of, uh, we're, uh, we're heavily involved behind the scenes on the actual development side of all of that. Uh, and, you know, I got introduced to blockchain in 2015, somewhere around there was out in San Francisco, which, you know, was the scene for, for all things, you know, wild and new and and got plugged in, you know, early on. And it was, you know, back back then it was like, everyone's like, Oh, you know, blockchain, Bitcoin, you know, this is going to be something, but it was, you know, I'd go to these meetups and it's like seven people in a room and they're just like talking about a a white paper and there's like some free, you know, donuts and cold coffee. And they're like, oh, this is, this is going to be the future. And you look at it now where you have these conferences with, you know, 50,000 people attending. And it's amazing to like connect the dots back and how quickly uh, that's happened. And, um, you know, to, I think to tie into some of uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll stop there. And there, there's there's more that I can weave into this, but that is at the high level, Gigster. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot there to talk about. A lot about your journey and a lot about Gigster as well. So let's uh, let's unpack some of that by let's uh, you know I talk a lot about entrepreneurial mindset and mm-hmm. possibility mindset and thinking big. And you know you you mentioned um, you know one of the things that I find really interesting. You mentioned earlier that. It's hard to even think about the way we worked uh, pre-pandemic. And, you know, my my children are working remotely pretty much full time. It's a completely different world. And you're talking about engineers that have been working. A lot of them have been working remotely for much longer than the pre-pandemic time. Uh, But now I guess a lot of corporations are really kind of buying into that a lot more. So I'm kind of curious, uh, before we kind of dig into you personally, just on the Gigster and the talent side, um, are most of these engineers working on multiple projects? Do they continue to, you know, is this kind of a slash kind of thing, you know? And, And how's that work? What's it like for a typical software engineer today? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And the way that we 
categorize how we run teams, um, you know, and to make it clear, like, you know, we're not a staff hog firm, so we're not here to just like hire you out people like Kickster manages everything in our platform and our tools and the whole talk track <laughs> pitch around data like that, like that is our special sauce. And, you know, what we call it is elastic teams, uh, meaning that if you're building like, let's say a, um, you know, a, 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 a blockchain app, let's say you're building an NFT marketplace, right? Um, similar to NBA Top Shots, or if you're even, it, regardless of what you're building, you're, you're building a machine learning platform, you're building something there, is that there are people that can contribute very highly at certain parts of the project, but maybe not necessarily contribute at, in, in other sprints or other forms of the fa- phases of the project. So there's no reason to keep them around, right? Uh, but tracking and knowing when that is, is very complex. And that's kind of what we've been solving over the years. Uh, and I say been solving because I don't know if it'll ever be fully solved, but <laughs> been, been, been fighting the good fight. Uh, so when we look at engineers, like they're on, on our projects, we will have some people full-time, right? And this is, you know, either um, the project managers or maybe the lead engineer. Uh, but other than that, like we look to kind of supplement people in and out when we need them and when we don't. So yes, to answer your question, um, engineers might be working on multiple projects at one time, uh, but they're fractionally contributing to each one where they're able to provide the most value. And I think that's that's really the concept, right? Like I'm I'm very good at like three or four things and, you know, decent at 20. Like there's no reason anyone should pay me for those 20 things I can do decently when, you know, you might be able to do them better than me. You should pay me for those five things that I'm really good at and only pay me when I'm like contributing there. And so that's how we've thought about this is that how can we, how can we bring people in to do those certain tasks that they are the best in the world at, and then release them to go somewhere else and continue doing that great work uh, rather than just having them stuck uh, in this thing. And that's, that's what we saw a lot of people, like real, a lot of engineers that were really unhappy at, you know, a lot of the big tech firms, they're like, you know, out of my week, I might do two hours worth of interesting work. And then the rest of it, it's just either one, I'm not doing anything or two, um, you know, I'm just kind of like doing odds and ends like busy work. And this, this again was at the time, like, I'm sure you remember, like when Silicon Valley was crazy that, you know, Google, like tech firms were just hiring engineers so their competition wouldn't hire them and they had nothing for them to do. They're like, Mm -hmm. I'll give you $250,000 a year. Just don't go work for, you know, company B. And yeah. And, you know, these people that are very, very smart, very creative individuals, they, that, like that idea of just complacency and not doing anything drove them mad. And we found a great product market fit at the time. um, And since then have been kind of growing. Yeah, the Fang engineers, right? A lot of them only working like maybe 25 hours a week for their company, if that. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah, so it's filling in that, you know, because they want to work on things they're passionate about. You know, what does that mean for the future, uh, you know, the future employee and the future worker? Because, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that people in this space get very specialized. Would you say that's the case? Um, You know, I know as an academic, that's kind of, you know, when you're working on your doctoral work, you're, you know, you know, everything there is about the right hind leg of a frog, right? (laughs) Whether it matters or not in academics. But uh, I guess the point is, you know, is there room for the generalist in this world? And, you know, what, what does this mean for 
continuous learning, um, because I, I, I know even if you're specializing, there's always more to learn. And, you know, this is getting us a little off track, but I'm really fascinated by this topic of, you know, mm-hmm. what the future workplace, what the future is going to be like and what the future worker is going to be like. Yeah, I mean, and I'll give you my my vision on it. And, and one that I would say that Gigster as a firm is pretty closely aligned with is that, um, you know, there's an interesting statistic from Gartner that, you know, 64% and like, and, and again, to frame this, right, I'm going to talk about tech. Um, so when we say the future worker, like, I don't want someone in some other field to try to compare and be like, you're never going to be able to fractionally have a surgeon working. It's like, look, I understand this isn't for everything, but of specifically right now, the IT market that, you know, 64% IT leaders don't adopt emerging tech to stay competitive, not because they can't afford it um, or like the need isn't there. It's because they can't find the people to work on it. And there's a massive, massive talent gap um, specifically, I mean, uh, across industries, but, but again, my, my area of my, my right, my right leg of the frog Frog, is with tech. Right. (laughs) Um, and so we see the future uh, of work as very liquid. Um, it, we're, we're moving to a much more liquid workforce. And this one I do believe is, is cr- cuts across a lot of industries. And when, when Uber came out, they, they made that very abundantly clear that people are willing to fractionally work when they want to uh, and that they're comfortable with that. And so if I look at you know, the future engineer um, you know, it, coming down the road, it's that and, and we hope to provide a, a, a model of working that allows people to, uh, to contribute to projects that they care about, to be able to fractionally move in, bet- in between projects. Uh, and this all helps drive the continuous learning. It helps drives exposure um, you know, to not only like different projects, but you know, different cultures and different people as we begin to like globalize more heavily. Uh, that you know, providing infrastructure and tooling that makes this possible uh, is really kind of one of our missions around it. And uh, yeah, I, I think the future workforce is going to be very interesting in that you see it's much uh, you know again the fluidity of it of people moving in and out and and, and moving towards high value roles more quickly than they may have in the past. Uh, so it, it's exciting. It's going to be exciting to watch and, and, and unfold. That's for sure. It is. And I think it's an exciting time for a worker because, you know, there's uh, op- you're only limited by your own limits, you know, <laughs> in mm-hmm. terms of what you can do these days. I think, you know, there is a real role for companies like Gigster because with this kind of fluid workforce, there's a lack of structure a lot of times and organizations like yours can provide that. So, mm-hmm. well, let, let's dig into a little bit more about Corey. I'd love to know, you know, I, ta- I like to talk about how everybody kind of went on my podcast, you know, how they got to where they are. Uh, because that pathway is always really interesting. So I know you started as a center at the Center for Advanced Robotics Research with FedEx. So um, t- talk, tell us about your background. Is this something you did, you know, as a kid? Were you always playing around with computers and robotics and games and all that? Or, you know, how, how did you get here? And, you know, what kind of background do you have? And take us through, um, you know, some of your career. The lives and times of Corey. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I'll try perfect. not to. I'll try not to bore you. Um, no. So I, my my career has been, you know, fortunately very interesting. It's been a lot of zigging and zagging. Uh, you know, I I got into computers kind of early on through video games, uh, and this was you know a long long time ago now. Um, and you know, in high school, I started. You know, we had a like a 
elective programming class. Uh, and, you know, I was extremely, extremely fortunate um, that like maybe my second year of taking it, that we had a graduate student um, that came and taught like two days a week or something. Uh, his name was David and he was like absolutely incredible. And it was one of those, it was like one of those years where like he was so cool and like so engaging that it was like one of those like very few moments in my life that I can remember looking back and being like, that was the pivot. Like that was the time when I uh, was like, oh, this is going to be it. Like this is where I'm headed. Um, and you know, from there really just kind of really started to just get all about understanding programming, understanding how computers work, uh, you know, did, 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 fortunately was because I was so interested, did well in the class and then got people to vouch for me to go do, uh, you know, research through the FedEx Institute of Technology um, on kind of like self, you know, self-driving tugs. And this was again, back in like 2009 or something like that. Uh, so I got exposed to, uh, again, really creative, interesting people um, early on, you know, just by happenstance, you know, I, I got uh, introduced to that role through randomly through one of my teachers uh, in high school's connection. I was like trying to find anything that I could do. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll vouch for you to go in. And so I went onto this research team and like by far, the most underqualified person that should have ever stepped through that door. I mean, it was embarrassing. I mean, you're in there with like PhDs that are working and pioneering AI. And there I am like literally a high school student who just wrote his third hello world program. And they're like, why is this kid here? But um, got super interested in that, you know, started, started going to school uh, and got introduced through, um, a, a classmate, I think, I think it was a classmate. At, oh no. I think I was posting stuff online about games. Uh, and this was 2009, maybe 2000, yeah, 2009. Uh, and a guy reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I'm looking to start a game company. And this was in Memphis, Tennessee. So not a tech hub by any stretch of the imagination, like the tech desert. And he was like, I want to make a game for the Xbox. I was like, well, here we go. Like, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. Uh, his name was Chris. Awesome, awesome guy. And went, uh, you know, helped him get this company lifted off the ground. You know, I was still going to school at the time, trying to go to school at the time. Uh, and it was called Resolute Games. So we got that up and rolling. Um, and, you know, while we were in it, it was this, we did, we did. And, and so we started on the Xbox game and it was like, this is way too hard. There's no way that we're ever going to be able to do this. And this was also when the iPhone was launching, the first iPhone. Uh, and when, you know, Steve and team over there decided to open up the app store, we were like, oh my God, we've got to get away from the Xbox and we got to go to the iPhone, going to make games for the iPhone. Uh, and again, I was all in, I was like, this is it. Um, and while we were doing it, we were really kind of the only show in town as far as doing mobile apps. And this was, you know, I, I can't stress enough. This was way before anyone cared about <laughs> their smartphones, right? They're like, give me the Blackberry with the keyboard. That's all I need. Uh, and while we were doing it, um, it uh, we had, uh, I think it was Elvis Presley Enterprises at the time came and we're like, we, we want to pay you to make an app uh, for, for Graceland. And we were like, you're going to, you're going to pay us to do this. Like, wait, wait, you guys are getting like the meme. You guys are getting paid. Like, hold on. Like what? Um, and so that we did and we built it and um, you know, the, the company at the time wanted to continue there very bought in on the game scene, but I had saw it and I was like, there's a ton, like, there's a huge opportunity to make money here. Like 
companies are going, and I was like, I was obsessed with my phone. I was like, this is the key. This is the power. Like businesses are going to be all about this um, very soon. Uh, how do I get in on it? And so I, I got with one of my roommates at the time and we founded one of my first companies called Prime Notion. And we were basically focused on doing enterprise mobility, you know, again, before mobility was, was a thing. And we were working, you know, because in Memphis, we were working with like St. Jude and we, you know, and we got, we got this like super tiny little hole in the wall office. And I'll never forget, like one of the first times that we had um, a customer come by, it was like just us two uh, that were doing anything. I was doing all the programming. He was doing the business stuff. We knew they were coming. We had no money. So we went to like a rental furniture place and they were like, if you bring it back in four hours, like you get your deposit back and it's less than a full day. So we like load up there. We go bring all this furniture in. We bring some of our friends in. Uh, we're like, look, just get on your laptop, sit in the room, put in headphones. Don't say anything. We've got to make this look like legit. And so we had... <laughs> We had, uh, I think it was from, it was maybe been from FedEx. They wanted to come see our, you know, like our, our operation, which is a very distant cry from any <laughs> operation. Uh, so they came and they saw it and they're like, this looks, um, you know, they, I mean, they didn't say this looks legit, but they seemed happy. And as soon as they left, we packed up all the furniture as soon as they, we couldn't see them anymore and like brought it all back and returned it. And it was, a that was the, you know, and, and when they, when we started to land those bigger contracts, uh, with like St. Jude and, you know, working in the auto zone and some of these, it was like, oh, wow, like, like, like we can make this happen. Um, which was another kind of like big pivot moment of, of like, this isn't like, this isn't that bad. Uh, like we can, you know, I can, I can do this. So that was, you know, that was going well. And as with all like, you know, upward trajectories, there are downward ones as well. Uh, you know, we were getting short on talent. So I, you know, moved to Austin, Texas, um, you know, which was in hindsight, probably a pretty terrible idea to leave the business to go there. Uh, you know, at this time too, uh, there was a huge gap in the market that we were seeing around GPS at the time was, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great, you know, um, and Apple had launched uh, they call it the iBeacon functionality, which basically allowed you to put these little Bluetooth low energy like beacons in a room. And so while GPS can get you to the building, it's very hard to know where you're at in the mm -hmm. building or what room you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had been talking with some people and, you know, kind of came up like, wow, if we could offer museums or stores or conferences a way to know like what booth you're standing in and unlock digital content on the back end of it, that could be really big. So we started another company, um, a co-founder in, in me at the time called Symbol, which was like simple BLE. Like it's amazing how much like, how ridiculous things look in hindsight. Uh, and, you know, like just riding on the, the ego train of, you know, we had something working. We're like, we're going to do this, you know, with no, no idea like what manufacturing means. And it's just a different beast. Like it is just so beyond anything. I mean, we're, we're like 22, you know, and we're like, we're going to, we don't need funding. You know, I was also on a huge, like Steve jobs uh, is our savior, like <laughs> mindset and kick. <laughs> 
and I was like, no, this is it. Uh, and we're not taking funding. We can make it happen. You know, all in all, basically tanking the first company that could have been successful to try to self-fund the second one, which ended up tanking as well, because by the time we ran all the money into it, you know, it was, you know, things were bad. You know, we, we were trying to set up, you know, figure out how to do sourcing out of China. How do you get cases and molds made? How do you do spare pool and inventory management, things that were just way over ahead. And, you know, we were too, um, maybe, maybe now I can say we were a little too egotistical to like go ask for help. We were like, we'll just will it into existence. And that, that doesn't work. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can tell you firsthand. Um, so we left, we, so we ended up selling the IP to a firm out of North Carolina uh, that does like product engineering. So they saw it and they were like, oh, wow, like a lot of our products that we act like physical products that we make, uh, this would be great IP and stuff for us to integrate into it. So we were able to exit to them and I went and worked and led their uh, connected technologies area, which is basically anything IoT. Um, my team and I was held uh, and did that for a while. Um, needed some time off so took a like a year and a half off and lived in a van you know i got i scrounged together like six thousand bucks and bought a van and converted it out uh and just left and took out took off on the road and um went to asia for a little while uh and then you know when i was traveling i had to make some money somehow right and i got introduced to gigster uh, was like, Hey, you can fractionally provide your expertise. And I was like, well, that's, you know, I'm looking for like 10 hours of work a week. And so the, the model fit well, started working with them. My now fiance and I, uh, had sold the van, went, we're planning to move to Asia. We're in Thailand. Uh, and you know, the first, I was like, we're, we'll live here for a while. I'll work at nights. I think the first, the first 1am call I had, I was like, there's no way this is, this is never, <laughs> this is, this is never going to happen. Uh, and by that time we were basically down to like $0 left. Um, and Gigster made an offer to come on full time. So we were like, do we have an option? Uh, so, you know, they helped pay for us to get back over, move to San Francisco, uh, and then kind of, you know, been with them since, but that's, I hope that wasn't like too much of a ramble, but it's been a bit of a, a back and forth. No, it's a great, it's a great story. And, you know, there's so much in there that um, I think is really valuable for anybody who, who is uh, either on the path of entrepreneurship or considering it. And, you know, one of the things I heard in there, you know, I, I mentioned to you uh, earlier when we were talking that I do a lot of research around entrepreneurial mindset and possibility mindset and limiting thoughts. And, you know, one of the things I heard when you first started down this path was that you said yes, even when you didn't know what you were going to be doing. I mean, it's it's always kind of been my MO also, you know, I jump in with, I jump in and then figure it out. And so there is, uh, it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. And what's interesting is I think probably, uh, you may not agree, but I, I think most people believe that they learn the most from the failures that they have along the way. And, and you know, uh, what I talk about with students is that it's about executing past failure. So it doesn't mean, you know, you're not always uh, on the right trajectory. And sometimes you have to, you know, we call it pivoting a lot of times, but you have to change course 
And when you when you make those changes, you know, it's it's like an airplane, you know, you're going from point A to point B, you don't stay on a path, it's correcting back and forth until you get there. And that's kind of, um, that's what I heard. So I thank you for sharing that. I think it's, it's a great story, you know, and I heard a lot in there. Um, you know, as as an entrepreneur myself, I can remember the days of building a company out of, you know, out of what we called the Brady Bunch house, you know, it was a little, it's a little house that was attached to my former university. And we were able to be in an incubator there in the upstairs and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things we did and getting our first customer. So, you know, but those times are also, you know, they're very special in a way because, uh, you know, you usually remember them with fond memories. But what what I also find interesting is that you've been very interested in um, you you understand the importance of timing and opportunities, and you probably learned some of that the hard way. But also you've been very forward thinking. And blockchain is something that most everybody in the business world now at least is somewhat aware of. I'm on some boards, you know, corporate boards. And of course, we have lots of conversations and a lot of the folks there are pretty far removed from blockchain. Um, Mm -hmm. But but it's an area that, uh, you know, that you've you're now the director of blockchain at Gigster. So what what um, tell us a little bit about your thoughts about, you know, where blockchain is. And you're right. I mean, it's it's kind of fun. You mentioned going to that event and there were seven people there and, you know, and now there's all these big conferences and, and you know, big crypto conferences. And so there's mm-hmm. so much going on. Um, I mentioned to you that my son's really interested in all of this and in investing and playing around in that space a lot. Um, you know, I'm doing a little investing, but I don't know what I'm doing, which I know is really <laughs> dangerous. But tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are as being, being an expert in blockchain and about blockchain. And then we can also some point get into crypto and nfts and some Mm -hmm. of the other things if you don't mind yeah of course it's i mean i I think the big thing too right if you're listening and 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 you hear you know blockchain crypto bitcoin you know ethereum yada yada nfts this that uh is that it's very important that everyone understands like a few different things the first one is that you know, while the the Bitcoin white paper, right, which defines what blockchain is, and for those that don't know, blockchain a, a blockchain is actually very very simple to understand. Um, you know, the the best way to think about it is that imagine like you and five of your friends are in a room. You all have a notepad. Um, anytime anyone says something, everyone writes down together what that person says, uh, with the idea that. Um, anyone in the room could, you know, you, anyone could, everyone can reconcile what the truth is, right? Everyone knows because everyone's keeping equal copies together. And if someone in that, in those five friends is maybe not a good friend and tries to say, oh, no, no, you know, Rebecca, you said this, the other four can look at their notepad and say, well, we have a consensus here that she didn't say that, like, therefore you're wrong. Uh, and, you know, blockchain was really born out of one out of the 2008 fi- financial cri- or mortgage crisis, right? When the housing market collapsed, there was lack of transparency, right? There's a lack of accountability. Uh, there's a lot of middlemen. I mean, if you think about the number of steps money goes through to, to pay or transfer, not even money, but just data, it's, it's incredible. Um, and it, it, the ethos behind it is that the reason blockchain exists is that if you have two parties, two people that don't trust each other, but want to 
make a transaction? Um, how do you how do you make that happen in the digital world, right? Um, now in the physical world, that you know might be easy if you're selling something on Craigslist. It might be go meet me in the Walmart parking lot, and you know I'll look at you know maybe they seem suspect, maybe not. We're here a public place, like. But in the digital world, that's that's very hard to replicate, very very difficult without an in- intermediary, right? Um, and this is coming off, and this is like so an intermediary example. A great one is like a Facebook or an Instagram or someone else, right? They control all the data. And then you trust the company that they're providing you with accurate data. Um, and that's that's where the trust layer lies. Uh, and I think that we've seen kind of repeatedly that companies are out for profit, um, they're profit first, not shareholder first. Uh, and blockchain came along and said, well, why do we need them to store? Like, why can't everyone, why can't we transact peer to peer and trust it? Uh, and that that was the kind of foundational shift that blockchain brought along. Um, and that took the form of, of course, at first as Bitcoin and then closely thereafter with Ethereum. Uh, but the whole idea and concept, again, is that imagine that you just had like imagine that Ethereum, right, a blockchain is like a world computer and that everyone that is participating in it is like helping run this world computer. And when you want to run something on it, uh, you can, and everyone can verify that what you're doing and what you're saying is truthful or that it's valid. I don't even want to say truthful because it crosses into the human condition, Uh, but for strictly from the tech side, if what you're doing is valid um, or not. And when we, when that came out, it was great. And that's, that was the, really the genesis of like crypto and cryptocurrencies, right? They said, great. We found a, because, you know, to step a little bit back to, which is, I don't think a lot of people understand is that, um, you know, money itself, right, is is a very interesting and like, almost like nebulous concept. That's very, very interesting to, 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 to dig into, you know, uh, originally money was like, money is a store of value, right? It's that I can give you something that is equal to something else. And we know that we're trading value on the back end of it. Uh, early on in, you know, our, our lizard brain days, it was trading back rock, rocks and pebbles. It was this and that. Uh, and then it got to a point where if you needed to exchange value over long distances, it became very dangerous because people could rob you too cost prohibitive because money at that time, you know, silver gold is very heavy. Uh, so I think it was the Medici came up with this idea of like a double book entry, right? Meaning that oh. Rebecca, you keep a ledger, I keep a ledger. If Peter says that he paid Paul, then we both write down and deduct from their accounts. And now we have money, you know, money more resembling what we have today. Uh, but all of that relies on having a ledger that everyone agrees is is true. That's the big one, right? Like. We are, the current financial system works because everyone agrees that Wells Fargo and you know um, Bank of America and the Fed even all keep accurate book entries. Uh, so when blockchain launched, they said, "Here's a global ledger that anyone can write to and anyone can verify and access." Uh, the first place people went was like crypto. Like I can create a new type of token or dollar and trade it back and forth, and people can arbitrage because there is this central ledger that everyone can access. And that's that was the big innovation from 09 up till 2017. Um, and then, you know, in 2017, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Deet Shirley uh, and Dapper Labs came up, you know, or, you know, Deet and them wrote 
what it, what we know now as NFTs. Uh, and this this in my mind is like one of the most like profound um, moments I think in in our relative history. Uh, and it, it it couldn't happen without blockchain, uh, but because it did happen, it's pretty wild. Is that uh, you know before NFTs and in, in, in the web, there was no way to own anything. Like it's very hard to own digital value. The reason being is that the internet was founded on this idea of sharing. Everything's open, copy, paste, go around. There is no idea of uniqueness. There's no way to validate that someone owns something. Like if you put a picture up, how do I know you didn't just copy it from somewhere else? Uh, that all like, and that, that made the internet like really hit a ceiling. Like it, like it hit a point where unless we find a way to provide ownership of digital goods or assets. And that can be an image, a video, whatever you want it to be. Like it's never going to evolve into what that next thing could be. And when NFTs came out or non-fungible tokens, essentially what they are is just a, another line item in that global ledger that says that this person owns this record and asset and anyone in the world can validate. So if you take it and copy and paste it, anyone can look and say, no, 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 no. Corey actually is the owner. And because we're able to verify where it came from in the chain of custody, you now have um, the ability to create like intrinsic value against these digital assets. And that is, and since then it's like blown the lid wide open. Um, it's like, oh my God, we've got so many options to do. And, you know, of course, like early on, this as with crypto, you've had the board apes, you had the crypto punks, you have these very speculative collectible assets. Then you had stuff like NBA Top Shot come out where they're like, imagine like trading cards, but now you know you own them and you can resell them for money online. Uh, and then it's just evolving from there. And that's it's, and again, neither crypto or NFTs could happen without blockchain uh, because there's no way that the public can verify you. It'd have to be. Like imagine, imagine if Facebook tried to sell you some digit, like an avatar picture, you'd be like, "Who cares?" Like, <laughs> I, I don't, like no, like who cares? But the fact that anyone, like, it's on this shared one across with no borders, with no regulate, you know, it's just this global ledger, uh, is what makes them so valuable. And that's that's been something that's been amazing to watch, like evolve, and it's still every single day, like new ideas, new concepts, new innovation. Uh, is coming out. And again, if you think about it, really NFTs came out in 2017, didn't catch on until 2020. So we're only like two years into it. And you're talking about like a trillion dollar market cap economy that was basically spun out of thin air, uh, but is holding and is real. Uh, and that, that portion we're seeing businesses and enterprises start to see that, okay, we waited a little bit. We see that there's value here. We see the market is open for it. And this is in my mind, one of those signaling functions that I had seen previously in my life that was like, oh, like, okay, like this is like this is gonna go somewhere. And we're still very early on in the adoption cycle too. I think last time I checked, it was something like 68 million active crypto wallets. There's seven billion people on the planet. Like the, you know, the TAM of the market size is just astronomical. So it's like, oh. Maybe, maybe we should maybe, do something here. <laughs> maybe, maybe there is maybe, something here. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there is something here. Um, yeah. I think that's what we're hearing now from some of the, you know, so a lot of the, you know, a lot of the naysayers around, um, around crypto and NFTs, you know, have come from more traditional markets and, 
And uh, so, you know, th there's a lot of pushback. You know, we're, we've obviously seen, you know, everything's been crashing kind of lately. And there's a lot um, to talk about there. I mean, there's a whole lot we could kind of mm -hmm. dig into. I just actually bought a ledger, by the way. So I'm, ah, I've got a little, I've got a little bit, go. I'm moving it to a little, this again, my son's advice on all of this, but you know, the, the whole idea of the NFTs and, and we're starting to see, you know, companies like Nike, legitimate companies, you know, that are kind of starting to trade in this space. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, I think it's called, and, and um, some of the banks, you know, are, I mean, are now you know doing crypto and we're seeing we're seeing that movement uh others are saying i'm staying away from that but but i think it's you know it's for lack of a better word maybe legitimizing it to some some of the skeptics that mm -hmm. have had a hard time understanding and I, I love your your way of describing it and thinking about it but but i'm really curious about where you think we're headed with all this you know one of the things i find fascinating is the companies that are being built on this um, this same philosophy, you know, this, this organizational philosophy of decentralization, decentralized mm -hmm. decision making, and and crypto and token. And uh, do you have any thoughts on those? You know, there's a lot of them popping up, and just like just like we had, you know, in 2000, we're going to have a lot of them probably won't make it. But um, what what is your thought about this is, you know, and even how it impacts um, what we were talking about earlier, you know, workers and mm -hmm. employees and accepting crypto and token um, for the work that you do and ownership in companies for the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so that I that like that topic weaves very nicely, right? But like one thing that I do want to address, like first is like the skeptics, like, I see them like all the time, people coming like, ah, you know, this is nothing. I talk to CEOs and executives. They're like, Corey, NFTs are, you know, or blockchain. Like, quite frankly, it's, excuse me, like it's bullshit. Like there's no way. Like yeah, this isn't, like, this isn't too. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that, you know what, that is totally fair because you know, when, when I, you know, when else I started to hear that too, was when we were pitching, like bring your own devices to FedEx for work. Right. And mobile apps, like this is going to increase employee productivity. And they're like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I'm telling you, like, this is it. And I also heard it again, you know, when machine learning was coming on really big, everyone's like, I don't think so. That like, I don't see the need to be able to identify clouds in a picture. It's like, it's not about that. It's about looking at massive amounts of data and making insights. And there again, we're like, this is kind of hubbub. Uh, and it's the, it's literally this, it's the same pushback every single time there's this new innovation that comes out. So like it, and the fact that they're saying it is in my mind, good, because if that is also a signaling function from areas that were successful before, when there was pushback, it's like, perfect. If no one, if no one was saying this, it would, it would be alarming, but the fact that they scary, are there, yeah. yeah, is good. Um, and, you know, to, you know, and, and when it leads into skepticism, like, again, it's, it's always going to be there. That's fine. Especially if you're an entrepreneur, like, skepticism is something that you have to be very, very comfortable with because beyond your industry or vision, you know, that people are going to be very skeptical of you. Investors will be skeptical of you. If you're pitching, you know, investors invest in people and they may look at you and be like, I don't think you got it. It's like, okay, well, fine. Roll on to the next one. Um, but when we talk about web three impacting the future of work, it does dovetail like really nicely into what we were talking about previously, you know, around 
some of the philosophies that we have around like decentralization in the future about fluidity and workforces, about people needing to be able to contribute in different ways than what it is now. And, um, you know, if you look at the work week now and the contributing, basically organizational hierarchy models, you know, a lot of them piggyback on the 40 hour work week, like the 40 hour work week was like, there were still like horses and buggies on the road. Like we're going to Mars. Like why, why is this like, sometimes you like look in the mirror, like why is this still a thing? Like Monday through Friday, like this is very strange that some guy, you know, that Henry Ford came up like in the early days of the, you know, the car, right. Riding a horse to the show. Like what, why are we still doing this? Um, And web three and blockchains and more specifically in that DAOs, have really made a big impact on what the possibility for the future of work could mean uh, because they've broken kind of what that standard incentive and compensation model is, as well as like, how do you attract and formulate people around topics? Uh, so a DAO, you know, if you, if you don't know and are listening, but a DAO is like a decentralized autonomous organization. Now that sounds like a mouthful, but really what it is is that you've brought together a group of people um, that are all decentralized um, and there's a level of anonymity around it. So you can contribute. Imagine being able to go drive for Uber, but no one knew who you were and there was no central Uber headquarters. Uh, so through you know a number of new like business mechanics that have come out uh, with Web3, you're able to actually operate an organization without a typical pyramid hierarchy structure that we see in 99.9% of businesses today. And that their ability to be very flexible and how they spin up and spin down and bring people in and make decisions, uh, I think lends itself to very, uh, it lends itself very well to allowing for a more elastic future and a more liquid workforce because people can come and contribute more easily than what they can do now. If you think about it now to go contribute somewhere, you have to sign and fill out a 1099. You've got to do this. You've got this coming in. Like it's the, there's friction um, and being liquid. And those that remove the friction and being liquid are going to be able to tap into a much larger talent pool than those that don't. And that I see as a big opportunity uh, for Web3, especially in the, in the DAO-ish area. Yeah, in in the DAO, which is the those decentralized organizations, talk to me a little about how they, how they, um, how those organizations um, lead. How do they mm. lead? How do they? How do they direct? Yeah, and this is and this is this is where I get my <laughs> this is where I get my tiffs with DAO with DAOs. Um, so I th- I think that they can be optimized to a way. So a, a DAO in its purest form. Right. The way that decisions are made is that like, let's say that a company like or this DAO wants to spend money on a new Super Bowl commercial. It's going to cost them one hundred thousand dollars. The way they make a decision on if they invest in that or not is they put it out to all the members of the DAO for a vote and everyone votes 51 percent. They run the ad. Fifty one percent say no, they don't run the ad. Uh, And that participation level is very interesting from the fact that, uh, you know, even we're seeing it now is that you have to find new ways to um, incentivize the future workforce. Uh, Like 
kids that are, are in high school today are not going to care about the same things that we do when they're going to find a job. Uh, they, uh, there's a lot more idea of ownership. You know, people want to be emotionally tied to things. Uh, and so in a DAO, right, if you feel like you have a voting option into the major decisions that, it, that this company, this organization that you're part of is going to make, that's a pretty compelling like reason to, to contribute and stay active um, in them. But, but with that, though, there's the obvious downfall of like, well, Corey, we can't put everything out to a vote. Like there's got to be some stuff. So the, 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 the twist on DAOs that we've been seeing work surpri- like surprisingly well um, is like a hybrid DAO where you have uh, central centralization and decision making for a lot of common day-to-day tasks like processing invoices, creating legal documents, um, this, that, but you open up areas to operate as a DAO. Um, and that might be, you know, in a community driven area might be, um, a part of like the marketing department that is creating new like campaigns or material, like why not crowdsource those ideas? I mean, research shows that, you know, it's typically, uh, you, you, you statistically don't have the right people on staff to come up with some of that stuff. So put it out to the community, let them decide and then incentivize them to participate and then compensate them you know, when decisions are adopted. Uh, so that's, that's, that in my mind is going to be one of the most fascinating things to watch over the next, you know, five years. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, that I find that really interesting because the whole, the, you know, hybrid seems to be the way that we've gone in education as well. You know, we went to fully remote and that doesn't work for everybody uh, either from the educator or the learner's perspective, but um you know, the hybrid seems to be the really good fit. So I, I'm I'm really mm-hmm. fascinated to hear about that because I've been thinking a lot about these DAOs and how they work and, you know, how that all fits in. I could talk about all of this forever. This is just fascinating. And, uh, you know, but I know, I know we need to wrap this up because you've got, you've got lots of work that I've got to let you get back to, but I, I have a couple more questions I really would like to ask you that kind of dive into, um, you know, what, what's, where are you, what are you looking at now? Like where, where's Corey headed? And, you know, you've, you've been on a quite a trajectory and quite a ride up to this point. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the space you're in. It's really fun to be a pioneer. I think Um, it can be painful as you've already experienced, but it can <laughs> yes, be really yeah. fun too. But I just suspect that you're going to be, uh, you know, you're, you're a pioneer at heart. So you're going to be, you're, you're watching things. So, so what, you know, what gets you, what are you excited about? I mean, you mentioned Dallas obviously, but what, what are you excited about in this whole space and with, you know, in your specialized area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me that, uh, you know, if I had to, if I had to like write down the cross section of where, um, I'm spending a lot of my cycles, uh, you know, as well as like research time is in kind of that intersection of the future of work um, and Web3 uh, and how they are going to coexist, how they're going to help each other. Uh, you know, we I actually manage our academic partnerships with like Stanford and Berkeley and their department, like management sciences and computer sciences. And we run a lot of studies on how does this distributed worker think? Like, how does the person working from home, like, what do they think about as, as culture? Like, how do they fit in the context of a team that coupled with how do you build new incentive models that drive people to, 
feel ownership into different projects or causes or mechanics that drive that uh, is the two areas in my mind are the most fascinating and have huge, huge um, total addressable markets, right? The future of work is a trillion dollar market. Web3 market is a trillion dollar market. So if I can slap those two together, there's bound to be, there's going to be something there that's going to hit hard. Yeah, yeah. Real opportunity there. Again, back to the timing piece and the market size and all those things that we look at. So I always like to ask my guests um, this one question before we leave, knowing that uh, I talked to you a little about this before we started, that a lot of times it's it's aspiring entrepreneurs or very early stage entrepreneurs that are listening and may, maybe practicing entrepreneurs. Um, if you had one piece of advice for someone out there who's considering, um, you know, heading down this path and, and, you know, whether it's blockchain or something in, you know, in a related web 3.0 space um, or something a little different, you know, what's that one piece of advice that you would like to leave for our listeners? Um, that's, that's a good question. I think that the best piece of advice, or at least what I wish I would have known earlier, um, on in my career is that there's a very big difference between ego and vision. Um, you know, being a founder, it's very important or an entrepreneur to have a vision. Uh, and that sometimes having that while also letting go of the ego is very, very important. You know, I wouldn't be uh, where I am today, you know, uh, fi finally have learned that people know more than me and that, you know, while I might be the guy, uh, you know, front running a lot of it. Um, you know, there's there's always opportunity to learn from from other people. And early on in my entrepreneurial career, I was all ego and 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 some vision there, and that obviously did not play out well for me. So now going forward, I always make sure to um, try to put that aside. And uh, it can it, it's funny because when you do have the vision, sometimes you, the ego does get pumped up, but you can't let that happen. You have to say like. Yes, I still need these people, which then helps you grow and learn about how important it is to, with the people you surround yourself uh, with. So that'd be, that might be it. Yeah, that that's very insightful. And, uh, you know, uh, you've probably heard, my mom used to say that which does not kill us makes us stronger. So I think, you know, having gone through some challenges and being willing to share that so that others don't have to go down that same path from time to time is is really is really wonderful. So thank you for sharing that. It's great advice, and thank you for spending the the last fifty minutes with me. This went by really fast. Yeah, this was great. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I could talk a lot longer. But if if any of our listeners would like to connect with you, find out more about you, follow you, where, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, LinkedIn is probably one of the best ones. It's just my name, so you just search for that. It's there. My like Twitter is just my first and last name. Pretty simple. Uh, and then you, if you're into any of the uh, more interested in the Gigster side stuff, it's just gigster.com. So you can check that out and yeah, look forward to, to chatting with anyone. Thank you, Corey. It's been fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor. Factor.